0: Hello, welcome to the Baby Woman Indie Insider Podcast. My name is Charlotte Carpenter and in these podcasts I interview artists, industry pros, decision makers, gatekeepers of the independent music industry and generally I share my tips and any insider scoop that I've I've got that you might benefit from. I am by no means an expert, but I've been doing it a little while and I wholeheartedly believe that we need to stop keeping our secrets from each other. Some of the best advice I was ever given was to give my best advice away. So this is the podcast, this is kind of the reason why I'm doing it. But moving on away from me into something a bit more interesting. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Simon Pursehouse from Centric Music. If you don't know Centric, look into them. They have helped me out time and time again, and you're gonna you're gonna hear more about that in in today's recording. But we dive into the topic of publishing and why that is so important for an indie musician to just get on top of because ultimately it opens up a million and one doors for you in terms of growing your audience and you know by getting your music on on television and film and stuff but it actually just gives you like cold hard cash and that's what we need to survive to grow our careers to pay the rent to you know pay the water bill and all that boring shit but anyway that's today's episode and uh before we dive in It would mean the world to me if you would support the podcast, please subscribe to it. If you have any specific guest requests or questions, topics you want answering, um, anything at all, get in touch, let me know. And you can do that by finding Baby Woman Records on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, everywhere else. Okay, today's episode is with no 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 today's episode is with simon from centric enjoy get your pad and pen ready because you're gonna need it
1: well hopefully like the whole kind of shtick that's the right word of centric is you know unless you have a publishing deal in place with someone hopefully it's a no-brainer to use our service you know we offer a really solid publishing infrastructure that you cannot do by yourself. You can't go and join all these PROs all around the world, which I'm probably jumping way ahead of at the moment in terms of what we do. But if you are not published, I think there is absolutely no reason why you wouldn't use Centric. And that's kind of what we've aimed for for the past 14 years, really.
0: So if we break it down, so in layman's terms, let's keep it super simple to begin with, and then I'll, we'll dive straight in. Yeah. Um, what is publishing?
1: Um, so publishing is all the income that's generated for the person who wrote the song. Um, within the music industry, you've got two main copyrights. Your master copyright, which is the recording, usually owned by the record label, but, you know, more so the artists themselves these days. And then you have the publishing record, uh, the publishing copyright, Sorry, which is mm-hmm. the song rather than the recording, if that makes sense. So therefore, mm-hmm. you know, if you take Yesterday by the Beatles, although there's one proper master recording of that, which is Apple Records. Um, There are thousands and thousands of covers of that, which the songwriter, Paul McCartney and John Lennon, uh, although it was just Paul, obviously, um, they get money for all those cover versions because they wrote that song. So as a publisher, we collect income for the people who write the songs, which quite often in the world of independent music is also the artist who is performing it themselves. But then we also look after songwriters who've got cuts. By, you know, big major artists like your Drake's and your jay zs and your Kanye West and that as well, where they're not performers, but they make the beats or they write some verses, et cetera, et cetera. So publishing is the income generated for the people who write the songs.
0: And when do you think in a musician's career um, is the right time to go on and, you know, kind of claim their royalties and look into companies like Centric?
1: As as soon as you've either played that song live or it's been released, because that means it's out there and that means it's generating money, basically. Every single stream you get generates a payment for both the master rights, the recording, and also the publishing rights. Um, every time you play a gig and you perform that song out loud to people, um, therefore it's generated publishing royalties. And that literally, you know, me and you could write a song after this, this afternoon and then go and perform it at the dog and duck i could perform it in liverpool and you could perform it in are you in birmingham still
0: uh no i'm in leicestershire
1: leicestershire sorry uh, so we could perform the song that we wrote together in two separate places in five or six hours time and that will d- generate royalties for both of us both of those performances would um the second you get wow. played on radio that generates income as well so uh, as soon as you've written a song and you've agreed the splits between the person you've written it with. If you've written it all by yourself, then it's 100% new, nice and safe and simple. Um, but say if you've sat in a room with six other people and you've all wrote a song, you might just do an even split or you might say, well, I did most of the work here, so I want more, et cetera. Uh, but as soon as you've written a song and you've agreed what percentages uh, everyone has, then you should probably register that with a publisher or a, a PRO, which is the PRS in this country.
0: And that must be quite a difficult conversation, I imagine. Maybe or maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but actually sitting in a room with some people and think, well, actually, I think I deserve this percentage. Have you ever come across any really horrible stories about that?
1: Yeah, it happens regularly. You know, part of our job as a good publisher is to help those conversations along and negotiate with other publishers what we think our writer's splits uh, should be. Um, you know, There's different kind of models and ways of looking at it. If you use real-life examples... Take someone like Coldplay, you know, your man, Chris Martin, even though he writes the lion's share of all the music, he splits all the publishing income four ways because he's a vegan and he's a nice guy and that's what they do. Whereas (laughs) if you take someone like Alex Turner from the Arctic Monkeys, he writes the songs, so therefore he gets all the publishing income. Um, Except with the Rolling Stones, that's why Mick Jagger and Keith Richards are worth... 300 million each whereas the other ones are only worth 100 million each you know what i mean they're getting much more yeah. income because they get the right share um usually hopefully when people go into the room for thirst for the first time if it's a real blank canvas and they make something start to finish together in that room it is most likely going to be an even split um and i've no doubt you could have many songwriters on this podcast tell you where they've sat there and so on and so on, absolutely can i swear on this
0: yeah, of course you can go. Do
1: absolutely fuck all, but then demanded that they get an even share. <laughs> uh, sometimes you have to suck it up a little bit and uh, go with it. But then sometimes if you go into a session with someone where you've got the bare bones of the track, pretty much you know it's there and it just needs uh, you know a sprinkle of bit of magic to finish. Then quite often you get people who call themselves finishers where they want pretty much a track as it is, but then they just want to add that last 10% to make it really, you know, radio friendly or just make it pop or whatever you want to say. Uh, whereas how much they'll would take
0: they take then traditionally?
1: It depends how good and how well known they are. Mm, um, okay. You know, if you're someone who's got an amazing track record, because you've had top tens in the last, you know, last five things you've done have all gone top 10, then you can demand a higher percentage than someone who's massively starting out at the beginning um it, it there is there is no kind of basic there it's all very what ifs and maybes um
0: this is something i like to call song therapy yes oh uh, yeah i'll have like a what i think is like a finished song and then i'll go over to the studio like this is kind of done but i know it could be better and we'll sit there and we'll just like rip it apart
1: yeah and each i would imagine yourself like as a songwriter what do you think your strength is are you a mm-hmm. Lyricist, are you a melody? Are you a top liner? Are you a chorus writer? You know, what do you think your strength is? If you were sat in a room full of uh, other songwriters, where do you think you're going to shine?
0: And do you have to piece those? Do these people have to kind of be pieced together? Do you think?
1: Yeah, there's no point in putting two top liners together. Or, you know, we've got people on our roster who, um, there's a, a wonderful woman called Rebecca Powell who's done a lot of co writing and had lots of cuts with people like, uh, well, Ward Thomas, she was on. She's got ten tracks, I think, on their number one album. um Yeah, and she she is, by her own admission, she is a storyteller. Like what she does is sits with songwriters and say, "What is the story you're trying to tell in this song?" And then she takes that and writes lyrics that are genuinely fantastic. And then we have another writer called Joe Hamill, who is in a band called Caitlyn Kane. But he, with the co-writes, he's had he's had number ones um around Europe, and he's such a solid chorus writer um and he's really good with melody as well so you know different songwriters do have those different kind of strings to their bow
0: so let's take this back a couple of steps as well all of that information was incredible and i know that people are going to be like wow i didn't realize that's what happened especially when it comes to songwriting because even someone like me like every time i hear these stories it's still new information because i'm so used to writing on my own or maybe Mm -hmm. with just one other person um and i think it's you know it's really interesting for a new artist to to kind of flex themselves in that way and be more open to writing with more people because on a personal perspective that actually took me a really really long time to even consider wanting someone else involved in the process
1: i can completely imagine i think it's how there's two ways of looking at it if you want to be if you want to be commercially successful um and especially certain genres, if you want to do pop, you have to co-write. You know, every year it's usually Music Week or Music Business Worldwide, who are a couple of, uh, you know, music industry-facing news outlets, will do a kind of analysis on the past year's charts. And usually the average number one in the UK has about six or seven songwriters on there. You know, it's it's a big numbers game these days. Mm-hmm. Um Whereas if you are an artist and you just want to write music that is for you, you know, it's almost therapy or art, creating art for art's sake, then you might not want to have someone come and fiddle with it and make it more accessible. You know, you want your product to be your product, which is completely fine. Um, but then also you can still find a happy medium there where you think this is very personal to me. It's, you know, it's some of the music that you sent me before, Charlotte, about very specific things and very emotional things about what's happened to you and your immediate family you might not want anyone to touch that but at the same time if someone could come in with a fresh perspective and just tweak a couple of things which ultimately make that song better that you listen to back as a songwriter and go in fact that now says it better than what i thought i could say myself then surely that's a win for kind of everyone around
0: i imagine with a company like centric you you do actually work with every genre imaginable
1: yeah yeah pretty much um so with centric there's you know there's kind of a few different types of catalog we work with so the majority of people know Centric for um, our very artist facing service, which uh, you know about, which you use personally. So Centric offers this uh, music publishing deal to absolutely anyone who writes their own material. And you come on board, you give us your information. We'll It's all free to join. We'll register that copyright, those copyrights all over the world. Make sure you get paid for absolutely everything. But the the joy of it is, is that you can leave whenever you want. Just 28 days notice and keep your copyright. So it's just, it's aggressively eyes friendly.
0: It's so transparent. Yeah. I'm I'm such a big champion of it.
1: I, and I thank you lots and lots for that. Um, It's, you know, it was set up, it's a university project that's got out of hand. It was set up whilst (laughs) we were at uni. This is 14 years ago. And, like, Were you like drunk,
0: like chilling over some like jacket potatoes and beans? Like <laughs> how, how did that come up? How did that happen?
1: Well, Chris, um, who is our CEO, who always feels odd saying that because it's just, you know, he's my scouse mate, it's Chris. Um, we, would, we did this course at university, which was, it was like music business management, basically. So it was like a business degree, but aimed at the music industry. It was a very small uni. There's only about 25 kids in a class. So everyone kind of knew everyone. And he was in the year above me. And in the third year of that course, you had to do a three-month work placement, you know, in the real world scary music industry. Um, He was set to go work for the local Colin Academy, which is now the Osu Academy, but it all fell through. So fair play to him. He had this idea, this initial idea of like a very artist-friendly publishing thing because, you know, we were all studying publishing at that time. We were all managing bands. We were putting gig nights on. I was a station manager at the local uh, university radio station and stuff. And even coming out of a 12 week module about publishing, it still seemed so baffling. Um, and fair play to him. He thought if we're still baffled and we're supposed to know about it, then what chances do kind of your average artist got who just wants to do that and make art, you know? Um, so he had this idea of a very artist friendly publishing deal. He spent his three month work placement writing the initial business plan, getting some funding together. And then for my placement the following year, I think I was all set to go work for XFM in Manchester. I bet wow. he said, um, do you want to do this? Like, you know, we've got some funding. We're ready to kind of launch. Do you want to do this for your projects? and Join me on it. And to be honest, I just thought if I do this, I'll know I'll get lots to do and I'll get a better grade. Because, um, <laughs> you know, if you do like an a, a internship at a big company, they might uh, just get yeah. you making tea or something. So I just said yes, thinking it would be three months of my life. And here I am, uh, 14 years on.
0: 14 years later, and you, do you still love it?
1: I've got one of the best jobs in the world, not to sound like... <laughs> I know I'm so exceptionally lucky. You know, there's, there's 67 of us now working at Centric. Um, and beautiful
0: offices as well. I've been very lucky to go there.
1: Yes, we've, uh, we're... Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons why it has worked is because we are based up north. I mean, I'm from Sheffield originally, and but I've lived in Liverpool now, Bill, ever since uni. Um, having, you know, the office in Liverpool... Has fifty something in there, and we still pay less than what we do for the four people who work in our office in the London site. So, Ouch. Uh, God bless the north, should we say?
0: What the hell? So that's uh, fourteen years. So fourteen years you've 14 been
1: a Yeah, blimey. And right, have you
0: always? Has a company always held kind of the same values from yeah. the very beginning until yeah. today?
1: Yeah. So the the point of I got a bit sidetracked there. Yeah. So that twenty eight day deal when we talked about working with artists from kind of all genres. Um, In terms of a company... Don't worry
0: about sidetracking, by the way. I love that kind of thing. It's all good. (laughs) Uh,
1: In terms of a company, that part of our business is only about 15% of the business now. Mm. Um, So even though it's the thing that most people know us for, it's actually quite small in terms of the revenue. Like the biggest part of our business now is publishing other people's catalogs. So sub-publishing or administrating anyone who has publishing copyrights who needs the infrastructure that we have um so we'll take another publisher's catalog in wherever they are based and then look after it for them maybe here in the uk or maybe absolutely anywhere so and then as well as that we have acquired some companies over the last few years you know we've bought smaller companies and brought them part of us which with that has given us catalog and given us some really big copyrights yeah and then also we sign people you know we, we do do traditional deals if you will you know where we Uh, We sign people for three, five, seven years where we want to have a bit of a closer relationship with and develop them as songwriters and put them in sessions with other songwriters or send them to writing camps. Um, But the majority of people we do those deals with are people that we've worked with on that 28 day deal first, which is quite nice um, because it kind of proves the relationships there. Like I always find it's a bit of an odd quirk of the music industry to be to be like, oh, hi, my name is Simon do you want to do a 15 year deal together? You know, you've got no idea who I am. You might hate <laughs> yeah. me in three months time, you know, at least get that relationship in place first, prove that you like each other. You think you're the right fit for each other before you commit to anything a bit more long-term.
0: Yeah. I think the idea of uh, longevity is, is uh, incredibly important for an independent artist. I mean, you know, when I was back at uni, cause I did a, I did a popular music degree. Um, and even though I was learning all these cool skills and you know, learning how to work my way around a studio and stuff, I wasn't really told just how long that this might take. So when I come to graduate and was looking out into the big wide open world of music, I had, I had absolutely no idea. And the idea of longevity now feels to me like the most valuable thing that you can have as an independent artist and, and realise just how long it's going to take. And that's OK. And all the relationships that you are going to build on the way.
1: Completely. I mean, ultimately, if you are an artist and you are a songwriter, if you can get to a stage where the only thing you are doing for a living is making music, then you are winning. You know, it might you might not be earning millions and millions, but you if you are earning, you know, whatever the minimum wage is, but you are earning enough to wake up, pick up a guitar or or play the piano and make music, Mm -hmm. and that's all you do for a living. You don't have to work for anyone else. You don't have to go to an office. You don't have to put on a suit. Then ultimately, you are kind of you're winning and for some artists that comes from playing live constantly for some artists that's streaming uh for some artists that's getting syncs for some artists that's writing for other people um finding kind of your niche and where you're going to make money is quite important like it's knowing your fan base or knowing what your particular skill set is really
0: and how do you go from, um, from a relatively new or budding artist on a 28-day deal with Centric, how do you come to be someone who could be offered a traditional publishing deal with Centric, apart from, obviously, you said, the relationship building and et cetera?
1: Um, yeah, liking each other, very important. Um, I mean, the basic, most simple answer, as you'd expect, is just make really good music that we can't ignore. Um the joy of Centric and how it works with the whole 28 day thing uh, means a hell of a lot of artists join us really early on in their career. And then they might go and leave us and sign with a traditional publishing deal, which is fine. So, you know, over the years, artists such as Lewis Capaldi and Bastille and Idols and Little Sims and H and Young T and Bugsy and all these kind of chart toppers all used our 28-day deal before they went on and did, you know, their more traditional big deals, which wow. is cool. Um, But for all the ones who did very well like that, I can tell you as many more, if not quadruple more, who'd left us to sign traditional deals, didn't make it. And then mm-hmm. as soon as that deal finished, they came straight back to us. Um, wow. So God... God knows how much I'd love to have signed Bastille because I wouldn't be wearing a Haitian hand jumper <laughs> right now. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, making music that we can't kind of deny. With the technology that we use, you know, we can spot trajectories pretty early on, you know, so we can mm-hmm. see your how your income's increasing. As a songwriter, we can see the areas where the in- income's coming. So we can see, like, oh, this person has had a massive spike in earnings and it's all come from digital mechanical royalties, so therefore they've got a lot of streaming or this person's doing really well and it's all international touring income, so clearly they're doing really good gigs abroad. Um, And yeah, it's just constantly telling us when something good happens with your music, letting us and the rest of your team know, especially for the sync side of things. You know, when, when we're pitching artists for sync, it's never just here's some tracks. It's like, here's some tracks and these are the reasons why it's exciting. And if you can tell me that, you've just been announced for Glastonbury or pitchfork have given you a review or whatever that really helps sell you as a songwriter and as an artist and gets everyone's attention in the office really.
0: So how, like, how does the, the percentage splits work with Centric? So let's start with kind of the, um, the royalty collection side of things, and then we'll go over to the sync. Uh,
1: with royalty collection, it's 80, 20. So 20% of everything we collect, um, we keep. There you go. Cool. Nice and easy. Uh, with sync, it's so there's kind of different ways it works. We're saying if we procure it, so therefore if we pitch it and we land it for you, um, there's two income streams on a for a sync to happen. So say if it was ten grand up from five grand, of that goes to the master rights, the record label, and five grand of that goes to the publishing, and we'll split that publishing with you half fifty fifty. Um mm-hmm. if you have no one if you don't have a record label and you own your own master rights and you want us to pitch them for you as well, uh then we'll take fifteen percent of that. So basically if you're a songwriter you own your master rights and you're the only songwriter and we get you a sync, uh we take thirty two and a half percent. So we say just under a third. That's and amazing. I think it's pretty fair. Um because the good thing about sync is it's non exclusive as well. So um if you get your own so oh, there you go, say if a sink comes to you and you're like, oh, this is great, but I've got no idea how to do this, the licensing and the legals and the contracts. If you bring that to us, we'll do all that for you and just take 15% just to provide all the paperwork. Or mm. if you're happy to do it all yourself and do all your own paperwork and we don't do anything, then we don't take a penny. So again, we're only going to take a cut when we add value.
0: I mean, I, I'm kind of one of the people that's largely benefited from from you doing such things. So, in my mind, like I would much rather hand those responsibilities over to someone that I know is going to do them well than for me to sit here and struggle with it.
1: Yeah. There is many times over the years where I can understand no one wants to give money away if they can't, if they don't have to. Um But I, there was one, I remember with an artist came to us and they were going to do it themselves and it was um, a betting company wants to use their track on one of their adverts. And I eventually kind of said to them, well, you know, if you want us to look over this, you ought to do it. You, you know, we will be worth our 15%, I hope. And they the band were going to accept 3000 pounds for this sync deal. And it was a terrible deal. And we managed to get them 30, 30 grand. Oh so, my gosh. and that's just, ju- you know, this is our job. This is what our expertise is. You know, I, I don't write songs for a living because I can't God. I wish I could. <laughs> I think being a songwriter would be the best job in the world, but I have got absolutely zero talent in that world whatsoever. So, but what I do know is how to get a good sync deal for an artist or what fair terms are, or, you know, and also to get a good deal for the client as well, because we need to make sure that the people who are licensing the music from us for sync keep coming back to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to completely burn bridges with the music supervisor and screw them over to get as much money as I can out of them because I want them to keep coming back to us so we can get more syncs for more artists.
0: Cause I, I, I have a lot of conversations with artists um, specifically other independent artists and they say you know all i need is a good sync that's all i need mm-hmm. and i'm like dude that's such a massive thing to say it's not just a good sync
1: sync is so tough it's so tough there it's are so, so many rare, people right? there are so many people trying to get syncs in the music industry that you can you can't rely on it as a source of income it should only be seen as a bonus and then you know people who the one line I get said to me more than kind of anything else um on a day to day is an artist or a manager reaching out to me saying, Oh yeah, listen to this, it's syncable. Like they always tell me it's syncable. Yeah. And it's and like cool, I get that, and I'm not being disparating because I am I am a very positive person, Joie de vivre Viva, very happy. Um, <laughs> but I can tell you that, you know, 19 times out of twenty it's, it's not syncable. Unless it's got a massive saxophone riff in there, it's probably not going to be syncable.
0: So that's
1: what you class as syncable. Well, just just going from uh, everyone's going to start
0: adding the saxophone. So previous. (laughs) we had
1: the first the first song we had at Centric, which we just couldn't stop syncing, was a song called "My Type" by a band called Saint Motel, which you can go and listen to after this. And it just starts with a big saxophone riff. So that's always been a bit of an office joke ever since.
0: Um, <laughs> I mean, before I mean, if you, okay so you don't like the word syncable or the phrase, I'm with you on that um, but I do have to ask one glowing question that I know a lot of artists will want to know, what makes a song appealing for sync?
1: Um, there's a few things, first of all it's about figuring out what kind of sync that you want, so if you're looking at kind of TV advertising it's all about hooks It's it's songs that you know, TV adverts are either 15 seconds or 30 seconds. Sometimes you'll get minute long ones. Um, but you need a piece of music, which within 15 seconds, once you've heard it once, it's hard to forget. So it's all about hooks and kind of immediate. Oh yeah. That's that. If you are doing more TV stuff, um, again, if you're kind of a singer songwriter, then you might work for dramas or indie movies or things like that. Uh, Lyrics about, what do we get asked for a lot? Lyrics about non-romantic love, you know, so a love between two people. That doesn't necessarily mean they want to have sex with each other. We get asked for that a lot. Um, wow. Lyrics about home. Um, lyrics about winning, being the champion, overcoming, uh, you know, oneself to achieve. Um, Other things on the on the back end of stuff, what can be as attractive to a music supervisor as the actual music itself is how easy it is to clear. So for everything that's out there, there are a hundred, if not a thousand tracks, which would have worked for that particular spot. You know, every so often you'll hear music supervisors or TV people say, oh, it could only ever be this track for this advert. It's it's absolute bollocks. Like there could have been 50 other tracks that would have worked. But if if it's easy to clear which means they can sign it off and do all the contracts and the paperwork with one party um, for nice and easy. And, you know, dare I say, cheaper than an absolute massive smash hit, then they're going to lean towards yours. So back to that thing where I talked about many uh, chart-topping records having multiple songwriters, if you take something like... So we look after two writers on One Dance by Drake, which has got, you know, billions of streams on Apple, billions of streams on Spotify. One of the biggest singles of all time still there are let's see well let me look at this right in front of me um how many writers are on that track one two three four five six seven there are eight writers on that track so if someone wants to license one dance for an advert or a trailer or a computer game they need to go to eight different songwriters who might have eight different publishers so that's Eight bits of paperwork there, and then also a bit of paperwork for the master rights. So, as a music supervisor, you are now doing nine contracts worth of work for a sync. Whereas, right. if we said that track's great, but also we've got this track here, which has got a similar sort of vibe, um, and it's got one song songwriter on that we control, and also we're allowed to push the master rights because the artists give us permission, that mm. means their nine bits of paperwork has gone down to one bit of paperwork and makes it a lot more attractive. So, are
0: you up against these really big songs? an artist a lot of the time?
1: It all, they kind of, when we get briefs through for advertisements, they will say what their budget is. Um uh, We have a bit of, we have quite a bit of big catalog as well. So, you know, we look after songs like It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year, Young Hearts Run Free,
0: wow, You Make Me Feel Like huge.
1: a Real, The Grandmaster Flash and Sugar Hill Gang, all that kind of stuff as well. Um So if they come to us and say, you know, we're looking for a hip hop track and we've got twenty grand, then we're not gonna push Grandmaster Flash because he can he demands a lot more than that. Do you know what I mean? But as yeah. an emerging artist, we've got so many incredible um grime trap hip hop artists who would bite your hand off at twenty grand. Yeah. Um so they'll they will say quite early on what budget they have for the advert. And every so often if it's the perfect track by a, an unknown artist, they will happily pay um, big cash so we've had you know a hundred grand sinks for guys who were just writing and recording music in their bedrooms uh, because the because the tracks worked so perfectly uh, for that case but usually the big money does go to the, kind of the big copyrights
0: I mean it's but it's still money that we would never have got anyway you know like that's still a massive especially for an independent artist like I remember when I've got one of my syncs with you guys it enabled me to move out of my bedroom or my mum's house and just Amazing. like put some money aside and you know start getting myself on the property ladder and and ultimately that has given me the most creative freedom that I've ever had in my life
1: I mean that's incredible that that is the best part of my job is when I hear stories like that from people like yourself where you know there has been a handful of times well, maybe more than a handful of times now where I've had artists and songwriters say to me that because of the work Centric's done, music is now my full-time career Mm -hmm. and it's not just a hobby anymore. And that's amazing. You know, you you can make big money for big artists who've already got a lot of cash and that's great and fine, but it's it's making a big difference to those people starting out, you know, as we did when we were at university trying all this for the first time, like seeing those stories always uh, makes my heart a lot fuller.
0: I remember there was a moment I had, um, I had, I think it was maybe two years ago. Is when you guys got a fire on a Sky advert.
1: Great track that's sinkable. It's so, got, it's got a, it's got it a hook. Was.
0: It is very hooky. And I remember just, I remember someone sending me video like, "Yo, fires on Sky," and I was like, "What?" And then I looked it back and I was like, "Wow, cool." A year later, when I got all of my like revenue view because I was a songwriter and also the copyright holder. I remember just looking at the number on the screen and I thought, <laughs> are you are you taking the piss? Like, I've never had this amount of money at one time. And, and then when I started, like, looking into it and was kind of like, oh, it wasn't just that track. This uh, Another song was on this advert and on the Discovery Channel. And this other song was here, there, and there. And uh, it's one of the most exciting days when you get royalty statements through, you know, from you guys and, and from PPL and stuff. And you're just like, wow, these people at Centric are really, like, doing it
1: you did you got a doozy there the um the promo is always one that we're very happy to get so basically what that means if you're a, an artist and you want your music used on television in the uk there's no actual kind of upfront fee for that for tv mm. programs for advertising there is but to get your music used on tv uh shows like you know eastenders or whatever mm. uh, they don't pay you upfront, but they'll give you a fee from the prs and the mcps which is your publishing copyrights and the PPL which is your master copyright and for promos especially on sky you'll get that fee every single time it's broadcast for PPL and PRS oh, and surprising. if you get a track that's on like heavy rotation so we had an artist who had a track on a, you know coming up in june on sky so it was just shown on all sky channels you know thousands of times in the course of 3 weeks and the money they got from that was high watering
0: it's just so interesting when when you put your music up on Centric and it's really really easy to do like all online you kind of put the mp3s in with the instrumentals which I if I'm right in thinking you love an instrumental is that right?
1: oh I've got it tattooed on me Charlotte <laughs>
0: Have you actually? No. <laughs> I thought you would have like some like know. quirky instrumental, like sound wave. I don't know, whatever.
1: <laughs> oh, it's so important though. Yeah, we've had artists lose out on like tens of thousands of pounds because they didn't have instrumental versions. Because if you think about when you're watching TV or watching, when you're watching adverts, you know they're trying to they're talking, they're selling you stuff. Or there's a scene going on between actors. Like they don't want your lyrics over it. Usually, they just want your music underneath it. Um, but then if it's an advert where you're singing about, you know something very specific to what they're selling, then they might use your lyrics. But yeah, instrumentals, nine, six out of 10, I would say instrumental versions these days.
0: I remember someone sending me um, a video from Hollyoaks is lots of my stuff ends up on Hollyoaks and um, they'd use the instrumental of take it all in the background of like a really terrible someone's dying scene <laughs> um, I was like, yeah, cool, this is cool. And I watched it, and I watched it. It went on for minutes and minutes and minutes. And I was like, you've literally just used the whole instrumental. And then I think they put my vocals in towards the end when the person was, like, dead. God. For, like, 10 seconds. I was like, oh, my God. You know, but it was great. I really, I love seeing stuff like that.
1: Yeah, it's great. I mean, sync is, it, we've always done very well with sync eccentric, and we've always kind of punched above our weight in the sense that you know, we built our sync department on catalog of completely unknown music and unknown artists. And um, I think sync happened, the first thing we had at Centric, maybe four or five years in, if that, there was three of us working at the company and we got some music on a, a German mobile phone advert. And it was like, Ooh, look at this money, like something we'd never, ever considered about the yeah. business plan or anything like that. So I just said at the time oh I'll do this then you know I'll do sync because you just you just sat around a table with each other going you know because it was a very nimble company back then where we can kind of move any day and then how, I,
0: how did you build that up
1: oh my god I chatted some I charmed my ass <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just
1: it was it was all yeah it was that it was just meeting anyone who would meet me just convincing them to give us a chance to put our music in front of them and you know you look back and you think no offense to the artists who were using Century three or four years old, because some of them are still with us now, but you know, the music is not as strong as it is what we have now. You know, if someone comes to us now and say, you know, we, you know, give us some music for this, the breadth of catalog that we have now, we can send like some of the best music in the world across there. But when the company was three or four years old, you know, we were working um, with really, really emerging artists with, mm-hmm. you know, recordings that might not have been up to scratch, but it was just meeting them and, buying them coffees at PrEP because, again, all our, all our competition back then, I didn't have a company card. We weren't paying expenses, things like that. You know, I I, yeah. I kind of hope they just saw the charm in it a little bit, even though they knew the guys at Sony or Universal or One Chapel could take them out for a steak dinner. But I wasn't doing that. I was, I was a little <laughs> Sheffield lad who's come down for the day on a cheap train ticket, convincing them <laughs> to give us a go. Do you know what I mean? Uh, but that that's done well for us kind of now because we got to the stage where when a music supervisor sees a track or when a music supervisor is told, you know, we need this clearing, they'll go to the PRS, look at the database and they'll see who publishes it. And depending on what publisher they see, their reaction could be, Oh God sake, like it's them people. I know that they're going to be difficult. I know that they're going to try and get three or four times the budget and they're going to drag this on. But now I'm hoping when they see it's eccentric music copyright, um, they go, Oh great. You know, I know those guys, they're They're fair they're easy to deal with, we'll, this will be a walk in the park. And that's because they've followed us and they've been with us part of like our company's journey, really.
0: Simon started to tell me a little bit more about the Academy Fund. So basically, if you're an artist on Centric, you can now apply for a £1,000 grant, a little bit similar to what PRS do and Arts Council England and Help Musicians UK. More than ever there are pots of cash available to people like us who who really need it and with that in mind i wanted to ask simon well if an artist is given a thousand pound what should they do with it and here is what he said
1: well that's an interesting question uh a question which i found so interesting that i i posed it to many people in the music industry so if you check out the Centric blog, there is a post called, if I was an independent artist, thousand pounds then I would, dot, dot, dot. And we asked, ooh, record labels and A&R people and agents and merch people and radio presenters and bookers and publishers, what they would do. And like the, the spectrum of answers we got back was really interesting on what different people thought they would do with a £1,000. So, I mean, obviously it all depends on where you are in your career, um if you are starting out from the beginning i would use it just for pure kind of rehearsal space and practicing like i can't stress enough how important it is to get your craft as good as it is before you put it out in the world i think too many artists put their first tracks up when they shouldn't be they should they like they should probably write another 10 songs before they put their first one up and they Mm -hmm. should probably not play that first gig yet until they've been in that practice room with the band for, you know, X amount of hours longer until it's as tight as possible. You know, the the issue is there is so much good music out there that you as an artist and a songwriter have to kind of rise above that. Um, So competition is already so outrageously tough. There is so much music out there that deserves Mm. a fan base that deserves um, to have their record bought, that deserves to be streamed, that deserves to be seen live, that deserves to sell t-shirts and stuff. Um, but it just gets lost in this sea of other music, which is equally as good as that, but there isn't enough people to support everyone. So it's yeah. all about, you know, it is about honing that craft and who who are your influencers? Who do you listen to? Who excites you? Does your music genuinely you know, stand up to that. And I'm not saying like, you know, the all time greatest, I'm not saying if you're a Beatles fan, do you think, Oh, does my song as good as Eleanor Rigby? It probably won't be, but you know what I mean? Look at, look at the other people who are making music similar to you in your space and think, is that equal or close to being as good as that? And if not, what are they doing? What can I do? And, you know, having that kind of discipline to really analyze your own music and your own abilities is Something that is quite rare, but pretty integral to to get into that stage of what I mentioned before—not superstardom, but just being just earning enough money to do nothing but make music.
0: I think that's a really interesting thing you just said because, from my personal perspective as well, I I feel like my whole career is on a very interesting trajectory, and it's always really you know I feel I feel lucky that there's some really good people around me and I've done some really cool things, but maybe about a year ago, I just had to kind of stop and think okay but this is all really good but what do you really want like Mm -hmm. how where do you see this going and when I started kind of peeling back the layers of kind of social media I've paid for PR I've had vinyl I've toured my ass off I've got a good band when I really started taking all that away the one alarming thing that I had not been thinking enough about was the song and I started yeah and I started to think of all the people that I listened to and even though I'm a massive advocate for independent music my favorite music is from bands that are winning Grammys and are Mm -hmm. doing like really cool massive things and I've spent my whole life looking up to them and I started to think if I've been looking up to them in this weird superficial way and wanting kind of the lifestyle that they had and playing to the kind of audiences they wanted and was doing everything possible to make that thing happen and I completely forgot that the songs actually have to be good enough and...
1: it is all about the songs the song is everything and i i mean it's more than the the recording as well like the, mm-hmm. the a song is timeless and timelessness for me is what what makes a a great song great you know the song that when you when you hear be my baby by the runettes now mm-hmm. it, that song is older shit but it's it's just perfect. There is not one part of that song which isn't incredible. And if you can write a song which people will still listen to and still be absolutely blown away by in 40, 50, 60 years' time, then, yeah. I mean, there's not many people who can do that, though. I mean, who was the last artist that really blew you away? Because I think once you've got an inherent kind of when you do what we do for a living, but you as a as a writer and me as sort of works with writers, and mm. my day is just music constantly, 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 really good music, to actually listen to something which knocks you sideways is quite rare, you know, which makes you just stop there and go, holy moly, what was the last thing that made that did that to you?
0: Is there any, is there like an independent artist right now that you can think, they've just sent me this incredible track and just like drop them a name or something?
1: Um. Well, there's loads of different there's loads of incredible tracks for different reasons. Like for me personally, I I'm all about lyrics. Like lyrics are the most important thing to a song for me. Like uh so my favourite songwriters are people like Guy Garvey from Elbow, uh mm-hmm. Scott Hutchison from Frightened Rabbit, mm-hmm. um Gang of You's like Dave who heads up the Gang of Views, Dear Lord, that the Gang of You's album, the lyrics on that are just mm-hmm. incredible. That came out last year, the year before. Um, we work with Off a
0: again. Let me write that down. Here gang is
1: it? of youths.
0: Gang of youths. Okay. Uh,
1: Australia, massive in Australia. Just moved to London to try and make it over here. Um, real kind of like, how are these guys not the biggest biggest band in the world? Kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then lyric wise, we work with a, an artist um, who's still emerging called Benedict Benjamin. Okay. Um, yeah. And he's got a song called Thin Skin, which the lyrics to that song are just wonderful. The first time I heard that, I was just like, wow, that's great. And it's all about being kind of vulnerable and, um, yeah, having thin skin and admitting your idiosyncrasies as a person, but delivered in a way that you just feel for him so much.
0: Obviously, you said you've been working with Centric for 14 years. Yeah. And the the music industry has completely changed mm-hmm. and is changing. Now, where do, where do you sit on kind of the state of the industry? Like, do you see it as a, a good place or a place which is going to be doomed eventually? Or you're always kind of finding hope and, you know, how how do you feel about it?
1: I think it's much more exciting now than what it was when we first started eccentric. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that you as a songwriter have the ability to write a song and put it on streaming platforms within a day, which then if for whatever reason gets picked up or goes viral or gets, or goes massive, you can earn significant amount of money, which all goes to you without any middleman. Again, that's hard, you know, cause how do you write that song? Which does that thing. Um, yeah. but it happens. There are, I think it blows my mind how every so often someone will say, have you heard this? And I like to think that I'm on top of music. You know, it's this partly <laughs> my job and I'll go, oh, I'll have a listen. And I go, God, that's good, isn't it? And then I'll go check out that artist on, Spotify, and it's someone who I've never heard of, but on their top ten tracks, they'll have a billion streams, and you're like, "This is incredible." That artists that you've not heard of are getting billions of streams, which is significant income. Mm-hmm. Um, so the opportunity is there. I think as a consumer, it's what a time to be alive. Like, yeah. how? Now, I still, it still gets me now. Charlotte, nine pounds ninety nine a month to have access to pretty much every song ever written <laughs> is just <laughs> insane. Um, yeah
0: it is insane
1: I understand how it can be frustrating for musicians and you know how people are getting paid but I mean if, if you don't you like change? no because the only way it's going to change that the, one of the biggest discrepancies at the moment is the money that's generated from streaming the vast majority of it goes to the master rights rather than the publishing rights
0: mm-hmm. so
1: songwriters and just straight up songwriters who aren't performers and have no uh, interest in the master rights get less money than what performers do. And this is a hangover from the kind of traditional music industry per se, because um, in theory, back in the day, uh, record labels took much more of a gamble on breaking an artist than a publisher did, whereas now the industry is not the same anymore. So you would hope, and what what should happen really, is that publishers and record labels and performers and songwriters should get the same amount of money, whereas they don't at the moment. But the only way that would change is if the, all the master rights owners agreed to take less money, which they'll never do, or yeah. if all the streaming services increase their prices, which they're never going to do because they'll, they'll lose people. So I don't know what's going to happen. No one really does. There will constantly be kind of arguments and people going back and forth all around the world about how it's going to change. But ultimately... I think if the music industry shown anything over the years, that it it, it worryingly follows rather than leads at times. You know, if if yeah. the music industry embraced iTunes early doors, um, then it would have done a lot better out of it. But then at the same time, it embraced streaming. You know, the, a lot of the major majors have stakes within Spotify themselves. It's interesting. I don't know. I think it's a very exciting times. I'm listening to music from artists from all over the world that are making incredible things. Mm-hmm. That that they're getting directly to me and they don't need someone to put take a punt of them in front of them anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I definitely, I mean, I'm in the mindset of an artist who I feel like I deserve more from streaming services mm-hmm. and it is, it's very annoying when, um, I remember when iTunes was a thing and I actually, I really benefited from the power of a download. Yeah. So like, my income in terms of download when I released like an EP um, quite a few years ago, maybe about five or six years ago uh, I released an EP and streaming services were around but they weren't really dominating yet so iTunes was like still the king and I had like maybe like 500 quid come through for a month's earnings which was incredible because I was really really emerging I wasn't doing Mm -hmm. that much really Um, but then a year later I released another EP and this is when streaming services have really taken off and god it was nowhere near 500 quid Mm -hmm. and you know, you would kind of think, Well, come on, like my career is getting better. I'm playing to more people, I'm touring more and and it did dishearten me to begin with. I was really annoyed, I was really pissed off. And but then I thought, you know, if I'm in this for the long haul, I'm gonna to have to find a way that this is gonna work. And I think a lot of us are just having to realign where are we gonna get that income from or realign what's important to us.
1: Yeah, it's about it's about knowing your Fan base and where they're going to spend cash, so Mm -hmm. streaming works exceptionally well for you know people who are making music, maybe aimed at younger the generation, the youngest, not like not kids, but for example, we you know one of our traditional signings we look after an artist or a band called the Slow Readers Club. They've Mm -hmm. had two, they've had two albums. One's been top ten, and one's been top twenty in the last Mm -hmm. couple of years, which is you know what's imagine being able to say that I've had a top ten album. But if you look at their streaming numbers, they're not that impressive, but that's not where their audience is. Their audience is, they buy physical records. They want to to own things. So, yeah. you know, another one of our artists, what's been quite interesting is a guy called John Smith, Um, like, you know, really well-known folk musician, been working with him for years. So he's one of our traditional signings and outrageously talented human being. And for a long time, you know, he, he, very similar. He's got an older fan base. He'd make most of his money, on the road um Mm -hmm. you know with the whole coronavirus thing a couple of weeks ago he did four i did a a four night run of gigs via zoom which you got a ticket for if you bought his new album you know and he he, he sold out you know he was played to 75 people per session and did six or seven sessions um but then you know streaming was never going to be that much of an income stream for him but then one of his tracks got picked up on you know by spotify and got put on all these acoustic playlists and i you know i don't know what it's on now 10 20 odd million streams so now we're mm-hmm. seeing income come from that as well but it is tough i get i completely understand that it is tough mm-hmm. for an artist and i can understand why it can be frustrating and disheartening at times but at the same time i see a hell of a lot of artists making comfortable livings um so so clearly it is doable Uh, it's just learning how to do it and then ultimately as well and I know this is such a rusted way of saying things but (laughs) I mean you need to be making it because you want to make it Um, as soon as you start thinking that you're owed something by anyone be it the industry or a a, a non-existent fan base then you're going to get jilted and bitter and you're not going to enjoy it anymore
0: it's true one of my favourite quotes of all time is the world doesn't owe you a thing No. I I I live by that. I've got it on my on my living room wall downstairs. At this point in the conversation, I start to ask Simon if there's anything that he can tell me that he wishes an artist wouldn't do. And that's not meant to be like a massive, you know, Debbie Downer on on artists, because I think we're great, but I also think that we have a lot to learn and it's okay to put our hands up and admit if we're getting something maybe a little bit wrong or we can just be better at something and Simon had loads of good stuff to say and I think we have to be really willing to to admit when we're not doing as much of a good job as we think we are you know we can't be these fully functioning perfect machines all the time it's okay to make mistakes so yeah listen to what simon has to say and uh see if you can spot anything in there which maybe that you've done that now you know you should maybe think twice about
1: not like not being nice <laughs> no, yeah the, the world is so small it's so so small and people want to work with people they like like and just being nice and helpful and friendly and positive will get you so much more further and yeah, not being nice, which, which similarly ties into number two of kind of, yeah, don't think that you wrote something um, when you're not. And that that's everything. That's not just musicians. That's just like, that, that's like life. you just said, that's how I try and treat everything that I do as well. Um, metadata. Come on, if that's what you want out of me. Send it, you're sending people MP3s where you've not put like the artist name or the track title and it says track one by unknown artists. Don't like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, right. Um, yeah. Um, okay. So, ignorance isn't an answer anymore. Like, um, there is way too much information out there uh, to to not go and learn about it, which is easily accessible and free. Um, and then also, yeah, if someone's approaching me for the first time, uh, just I mean, and just do a bit of research. And I'm not just saying me personally. In the same way that when I'm approaching someone for the first time, just kind of know who you're talking to. You know, it, it takes it takes 10 seconds to to Google my outrageously daft surname and straight away you'll have something to say to me because you'll find me on Twitter and then you can start an email by saying, Hey Simon, Oh, Sheffield Wednesday are terrible, aren't they? And then I'll go, well, yeah, they are, but I love them. And then I'll probably talk to you. Like no, no one has ever gotten a record deal or a publishing deal or a sync or a gig from emailing 500 people on BCC with a link to a SoundCloud. Like, like find the, the people, people you want. Do oh Is yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Like find the people you want to talk to. Do a bit of research about them and have a conversation with them. It's 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 much better to talk to five people who are listening to you than to shout at fifty who don't care who you are. Work smarter, not harder. Someone said that to me about seven or eight years ago, and that really stuck with me. Work smarter, not harder. And being busy isn't a isn't a badge of honor as well. Can we have that one? Just yeah, you and that, can
0: throw them in. I love it. Just keep chipping away.
1: <laughs> this is one which I just everyone needs in the music industry needs to know. Like being busy is not a badge of honor, and They're going to go to response every time you catch up with someone you've not seen for a while, and you're like, "Hey, how are you?" And everyone goes, "Oh, I'm busy." And yeah, of course you are. Like we're all busy, but you know, s- stop working. We don't work all the time. The, the world is still going to turn if you don't send that email look after your mental health for god's sake
0: so that was my very very lovely chat with simon pursehouse from centric music thank you again simon for your time and your just mounds of support across uh, the past decade and uh yeah i actually learned a lot about about publishing I don't know if you did but even though I've been using these companies for a really long time I've never really had the chance to sit down and really talk to the person that has been on the other side of an email for so long so yeah I hope you've maybe thought a little bit harder about your songwriting or maybe you're a little bit more open to co-writing now but the most important thing that you can get from this conversation is probably just how important it is that you register your songs for ppl and prs and start generating some real income so you can sack off the coffee shop and and you know uh do music full time and i said that to you but i'm also saying that to myself uh, but yeah that was another episode of the indie insider with baby woman records if you liked this episode and i really hope you do or you did, sorry, please subscribe. Uh, You can keep up with all of the amazing stuff that we're up to on Baby Woman Records by following us everywhere. We're on Instagram all the time, Twitter most of the time, and Facebook when we feel like it. But thank you so much for listening, and I will speak to you soon.